Loudspeaker Studios. Welcome to the Hangover Liberation Society, a podcast celebrating the upsides, upsides, there are many of them, of living a zero-proof lifestyle. My name is Adrian Vanderbalk. And I'm Erin Ranta, and we are the co-founders of Reva Recovery Support and the creators of the Hangover Liberation Method. If you don't know what that is, don't worry, stay tuned. We will break it down for you a little later in the episode. But first things first, Erin, Let's talk about the holidays. The holidays. Yes, everyone's favorite topic. We're spending a whole episode on it because, man, this can be a really tough time for people who are trying not to drink or use. I mean, it's a tough time for everybody, but especially if you don't have that crutch, it is definitely a challenge. Erin, how are you holding up? We're just coming off of Thanksgiving. So I'm holding up pretty darn good, But I still get a tense feeling and a feeling of dread, even though I don't really have any big events to go to because I do not live in the same city as my family or any extended family. So I still recollect the feeling. I'm glad I don't have to go to the events. So I'm lucky, but I do support anybody that has to, and I empathize as well. So why do you still think you feel that dread? Is it like a neuro pathway that was created for you or kind of just a lingering memory? It's kind of like the Sunday night blues. Like even if I don't have to work Monday, it's still there. It just is a neuro pathway for sure. Definitely need to do some work on that area during the holidays because it was such a not fun time for so many years. So, you know, it's going to take a little bit of work to clear those pathways. Do you have a particular holiday story nightmare that you'd like to share with us? I think overall, I would go to some extended family functions, people I'm not that close with, but people that would ask me how I'm doing. And for a couple of years, I was not doing well, but I would also try to sneak. I would sneak alcohol into the bathroom. So one event I passed out in the bathroom and these people were wondering where I was and I would blame it on my monthly cycle. I mean, that's just not true. And it was in retrospect, very embarrassing. That's a bad one, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty bad. I definitely did a lot of sneaky drinking and my technique was to try to make this like a fun family affair. Like, Hey, everybody, we're going to, we're going to do this mulled cider thing. And then I would put three times as much liqueur in mine (laughs) as everybody else and go back like way too many times. And ultimately I'm pretty sure I was not being all that sneaky. People know, most people know, I think it's a certain point. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I had the opportunity to teach a class on meditation for holiday survival lately. And it's been making me think a lot about like where does the stress of the holidays actually come from and how much of that is something that we have control over and how much of it happens because literally like most of the country is collectively going through weeks of being expected to perform happiness at the same time. And sometimes that doesn't go well. And I mean, I guess it sort of makes sense. It's like Mm -hmm. we're collectively all expected to be having this joyful experience. And if our experience doesn't match up to that, it, you know, inevitably kind of makes us feel inadequate. We're supposed to feel happy and present as everything successful for this long extended period of time. And 
maybe some things are successful, maybe some things aren't, but it's just not realistic. I remember the first time I found some people that didn't love the holidays. I was very drawn to those people. I really remember the feeling of being so happy to know that not everybody loves the holidays. And what you were saying about just, you know, that expectation, I think for people who suffer from substance use disorders, that feeling is even more acute because maybe you already have a sense that you're not living up to your expectations, other people's expectations of you, wondering if you're good enough, always sort of laboring with these confidence issues Mm -hmm. that we know so many of us do. So it really is kind of a perfect storm. A few years ago, I was thinking about the holidays and how much better they were for me since I have not been drinking. And so I just want to share, I'll put this article in the show notes, but I wanted to share my observations about that. And then I'm going to dive into a little bit more about that class that I mentioned earlier and some tips for navigating the holidays on your terms as a sober person. So yes. Uh, One thing that was not great for me at holiday parties is that I would consistently destroy my clothes. And especially if I had like gone out and bought a party dress or something like that. And then of course I was a red wine drinker primarily. And then those two things do not go together. I remember specifically this like beautiful white lace dress that I bought one year And I just woke up the next day with streaks of red all the way down this beautiful white fabric. And I was so, oh no, it was really bad. I'm not the world's most graceful person anyway. So it wouldn't be accurate to say that I've like never spilled anything on myself since then, but not entire (laughs) giant goblets of wine, like down the front of my dress, you know? So that's a huge advantage, a major upside to being liberated from alcohol. I mean, not necessarily the holidays, but I don't know how many pairs of jeans I've ruined falling down and busting through the knees. Um, And not in a cute, distressed way, in a like bloody, nasty, like (laughs) have to throw the jeans away kind of way. Not Not in like a seven for all mankind. (laughs) The second thing that I noticed about why I enjoyed the holidays more is that I actually looked forward to seeing people. Previously, when I had a social event to go to, so often it was because I had been fixated on it all day as an opportunity to get drunk. So I didn't really care about the host. I didn't really care about the other guests. I just had been like having it in my head all day. Like I get to drink tonight. I get to drink tonight. And then when I got there, I was basically stuck in this cycle of waiting for other people to finish their drinks so that I could go back to the bar without looking like I was drinking more than them or like worrying that the party was going to run out of alcohol. And then what would I do? You know, it just, it never ended up being that enjoyable because I was so fixated on my drinking versus everyone else's drinking rather than being at a party with other people. Oh, completely. Just trying to get all the wine possible in the cup before it runs out. And when it runs out, freak out, by the way, (laughs) no one else seems to care, but I would be like in complete distress, speaking of distress. And I really, really also enjoy the food. I mean, the food is so good. And why not enjoy instead of being taste buds numb and just eating kind of for show? Exactly. In fact, that was the next thing in the article is that I enjoy the food and remember Mm. the food. 
which Mm -hmm. is huge. And I know that you are a food person. That's something that we have in common. Most definitely. Um, I would also say that there were sort of two calculations that happened, at least for me. And I think for a lot of other drinkers, one is how little food can I get away with so Mm -hmm. I can get drunk faster, which always backfires. And then two, what kind of food would allow me to drink more and for longer? So I was always torn between those two things. Do I want to get drunk faster or do I want to be able to drink for longer? And there's the caloric one, which has opens up a whole nother probably episode we could talk about, but the, how many calories am I drinking versus the food calories? Exactly. Yes. Let's please put a pin in that for another episode. I feel you could probably do a whole podcast about that. Mm -hmm. And then not to mention the fact that sometimes you end up on the bathroom floor having released all the food that you (laughs) ate that day and you know how unpleasant that is. So not having to experience that anymore is also like, oh my God, such a gift. There's nothing fun about throwing up. Let's just say it. No, awful. it's, it's the worst. Oftentimes there's things the next day with the people. So to not be hungover for those things is another gift that never gets old. Like another event, another holiday yeah, event. Yeah, maybe a brunch or maybe, you know, Christmas Eve to Christmas Day or whatever you celebrate. Sometimes there's a few days in a row. Yeah, no hangover and also no like embarrassment because you don't really remember what you did. I love that story. That's my favorite story. Which actually segues perfectly into the last thing I was going to talk about, which is that you don't have to choose between the party and the weekend. You know, toward the end of my drinking, if I w- went really big on a Friday, for example, I was just done. I couldn't do anything on Saturday and I might have my shit together by Sunday, but like sometimes that would just be sort of a wasted day too. I wasn't even like cleaning my house or playing with my dog, much less working out or going to be with people or like doing anything productive or social. So now it's like, you can think about the whole stretch of days and make a decision about what you want to do rather than have that decision be made for you because you're too hungover or anxious from drinking to be able to function. Oftentimes I would plan these grandiose, well, maybe not even grandiose, just little things to do and cancel And doing that several times over an extended period of time just feels really shitty. Just canceling, canceling, canceling. It's one thing to follow through with the things you like to do. Yeah, exactly. And to participate in those things because you want to be there. And that actually is really has been the theme in this class that I'm teaching. And the class is not exclusively for people in recovery, but not drinking is actually one of the three major recommendations that I make in this course. So Uh, For any of you out there that might still be using alcohol, but thinking about making the transition, part of the reason why I recommend it is that limiting or cutting out booze for the holidays might sound like totally counterintuitive. It's like, well, that's, that's when we're celebrating and that's when we kind of need to take the edge off and have something to kind of lubricate us to tolerate our families or whatever. But, and this is again, where the liberation concept comes in for me navigating your family or navigating not being with your family, right? If that's the case for a lot of people, Uh, navigating your own feelings about the holidays, which again, are kind of thrust upon us. Even if we don't celebrate, the world is celebrating around you. So unless you really go underground, the holidays are going to happen to you one way or the other. So to navigate all of that in a way that feels aligned with you and your values and what you want, which is really the core philosophy of the hangover liberation method, You need your instincts. 
and you need your judgment and you need your ability to advocate for yourself. And alcohol really diminishes all of those things. So at the time when you kind of want to be the most in tune with who you are and what you want, that's not the time to be layering on extra substances that take you farther and farther away from that, if that makes sense. Yes. And you would like to be able to choose to go and not go to certain things and just stay true to yourself. Exactly. And then the second thing I've been emphasizing with these students is to get really clear about what you want out of the holidays, which is going to be different for everybody. And again, because we have this expectation of performative joy and happiness to be together, I think a lot of times we feel like, oh, that's what we should want. We should want to be with our families. We should want to have this sort of Norman Rockwell experience. But if that's not actually the experience that you do want, then you're going to automatically feel disconnected from yourself and from your true intentions and desires, which is not a good way to feel not at the holidays and not ever. Right. It's okay to stay by yourself and maybe take advantage of the fact that a lot of things are closed early and just use that time to stay in and just watch that movie. You haven't gotten a chance to watch and, you know, you don't have to eat Turkey on Thanksgiving. You can get a pizza if you want. It's just another day really. So make it your own. Yeah. I know a lot of people this year were doing alternative Thanksgivings as well, because they feel like that holiday is so politically fraught and a celebration of colonialism and genocide. And so we're yeah. are finding new ways to reinvent Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And I think reinventing the holidays for yourself is absolutely your prerogative as a sober person, especially <laughs> like everyone has is entitled to do that, but you really have an extra pass basically to do whatever you want on the holidays, because you know, it, there is a lot of extra pressure. And if you decide how you want to feel and what the experience you want, and then you're not having that experience, then you do not have to participate. You can leave the party. You can exit the conversation. You can cancel. My husband and I actually canceled a brunch that we were going to have. We like planned brunch, invited all these people the day rolled around and we were like, we don't want to have this brunch. Mm. And so we moved it. <laughs> it was very liberating. I was like, oh, look at me taking my own advice. Amazing. Yeah. You can actually do those things. And also if you feel in your gut that an event may jeopardize your sobriety, and we'll talk about this in future episodes too. You don't have to go. I just can't say that enough. Nothing is more important than your health and your sobriety. So don't jeopardize it just for some party if that's what you feel really strongly in your gut. And then the third thing is to start a daily meditation practice before the holidays if you don't have one already. And that's something that we teach all of our students and having that little bit of extra mental space and perspective on your own reactions to what's happening around you is incredibly valuable because when you're in the middle, say you're at a holiday party and you're having an interaction with someone that doesn't feel good to you for whatever reason, recognizing that that doesn't feel good and knowing that you've made an agreement with yourself not to engage in those kinds of dynamics feels completely different when you have a regular meditation practice and you have the ability to recognize what's happening because you're in tune with your body, because you listen to the thoughts that are happening in your own mind and you can make a different decision as opposed to when you don't have that kind of clarity and you're either just stuck there suffering or you have a really outsized reaction to what's going on because your body 
and mind get so stressed out by the experience that you're really reacting rather than responding. You're not coming from a place of decision-making. You're coming from a place of fear or in some cases feeling unsafe. So say you're listening to this episode when it comes out the week after Thanksgiving, there is still time to reap the benefits of a few weeks of meditation before you get to the end of the year. I strongly, strongly encourage people to look into that if you don't have a practice already. And that is something that we can also help you with. If you want support, reach out to us because meditation coaching is personally my jam. We will go into this further as well, but you do not need all the time in the world to start a meditation practice. I have a toddler and literally not much space or time, but there are pockets of time. You can just grab a few minutes and I will tell you, it is helpful. Just go in the bathroom, lock the door, take a quote unquote shower, whatever you need to do. Just find that few minutes for yourself. You don't need a full hour, half hour. That's great if you can, but if you don't, don't not do it. I know a lot of moms who actually meditate in the car, like they can't get away from their kids long enough to to like sit down and meditate. So they'll like get home from the grocery store, turn the car off and sit in the car and meditate in the driveway and more power to you set boundaries with your kids. Yes. But I know that that's aspirational. And if you're not quite there yet, do the bathroom of the car, man. Or if you're in New York city, go into the subway station and find a bench and just throw throw on those noise canceling headphones. All right, so we are going to talk about this week's big sober energy tip. This is the segment of the show where we give you just a little tidbit you can take with you and try out for the next couple of weeks, see how it works for you, see if it enhances your sobriety. And in honor of this holiday edition, the big sober energy tip is to do an obligation inventory. So what that looks like is basically sitting down and making a list of everything that you absolutely have to do between now and the end of the year. It doesn't have to just be social events. It can be, you know, emotional obligations, financial obligations, work obligations, spiritual obligations, family obligations. There's many different categories. Think about anything that you feel like is really expected of you. And then Go through that list and make a decision about how each and every one of those items makes you feel. This is sort of like the Marie Kondo approach, right? Where she has you pick up all of your belongings and say, like, does this spark joy? When you read these obligations, what emotion does that elicit in you? Does it make you feel anxious? Does it make you feel excited? Because there are some obligations you might actually be kind of down with, right? Mm-hmm. Does it make you feel dread? I think Erin, you mentioned the word dread earlier. Mm-hmm. If you're feeling dread, that's a very, very important emotion to pay attention to. And, you know, we so rarely ask ourselves how we feel. So just ask yourself, how did each of these obligations make you feel? And then go through the list again. And the ones that brought up emotions that maybe aren't so great, ask yourself, okay, well, what is the worst thing that would happen if I didn't do this? What if I just took it off the list? Now, obviously, when I think about paying my rent, it doesn't make me feel super excited. Sometimes it makes me feel super anxious if I'm low low on money, but I can't not pay my rent. I mean, I could, but I've done the cost benefit analysis of those two Mm -hmm. outcomes and I'd rather feel anxious and come up with the money than like get evicted, right? So there's some things that are truly non-negotiable, but there are so many things that we often feel obligated to do that in reality, that obligation is in our heads. 
like somebody might be irritated with you. Somebody might like give you a little bit of flack for not doing it, but really does it matter? And really, is it worth it? Like, do you always have to be the one to be uncomfortable or anxious? Mm. And is that more important than the fleeting irritation or disappointment of another person? Sometimes think of if the other person, what would they do in the situation? Would they go if they were feeling dread? Most likely not. So yeah, give yourself yeah. that grace. This is totally an exercise in giving ourselves grace. Sometimes I like to think about the obligation inventory in terms of how much anxiety does it give me? I'll even plot it on like a little graph where like the X axis is anxiety and the Y axis is how much of a pain in the ass is it? Do I have to really go out of my way? Is it a lot of work? Is it going to take up a lot of time? And the ones that are high anxiety have high time. I'm like, no, <laughs> I really don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Or I'll find, I'll find another way to do it. I'll either postpone it or pass on some aspect of it to another person or find some way to, to decrease the position on the axis of that particular obligation because it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Definitely not. Love that. One of the aspects of the Hangover Liberation Society program that sets us apart is that Aaron and I are both, in addition to being recovery coaches, both movement teachers, and our students have access to daily movement and meditation support. And we want to offer that to you as well as our listeners. So every episode, we'll have a little either movement or meditation segment. And today, that's going to be led by Aaron. All right. We are going to start seated. So just find a nice, comfortable seat, but let your feet be free. So if you can have wherever you are, a place so you can just roll your ankles around, kind of just find some movement in the ankles and the feet. You can point and flex through the feet a few times as well which is basically just, you know, pointing through the ball of the foot and the toes and then pulling the toes and the ball of the foot back, you know, getting some nice foot ankle movement. Sometimes we forget about that area and we want to bring some life to our feet. And then let's just move it all the way up to the arms. And we're going to take a few big giant arm circles. So let's let both arms come up by the ears and then back as big as you feel is comfortable for your shoulder joints. Again, just getting some nice movement in the shoulders and we'll take about two more in the first direction. Whatever way that is for you is fine. Good. Feel that nice stretch in the shoulder joints. And we'll go the other direction with those arm circles. Make sure you're breathing through this. Take a nice big breath in and a big breath out and let's take one more of those arm circles and let the arms just fall down at the side of the body next we're gonna do my favorite a nice side stretch so you're gonna take your right arm up over your head we need to feel your sits bones planted on wherever you're seated and then just lean over towards the side really plant that right sits bone down And we'll come back up to vertical, let your arm float down. Take your other arm up overhead and just go over towards the opposite side. Again, planting that opposite sits bone down and coming back up to vertical. Let's take one more each direction there. 
at your own pace, but keep it somewhat slow so you really maximize that stretch. And last side, last repetition. Relax that neck, relax the ribs. And from a sitting tall place, let's just do one more thing. We're gonna let the chin fall down to the chest and roll down towards your, as far as you can or want towards your legs. So it's just like an upper mid back roll down. And then you can roll back up, planting your spine up nice and tall. You're gonna take your fingertips, walk them back behind you. Even if it's in space, let your shoulders and chest open up to the sky. So you kind of open up your heart to the sky. And then we'll come back to sitting vertical. And great, just a little movement for you for this day. I love that. I feel so much better. Thank you, Erin. Of course, you're welcome. Thank you all for joining us. And we hope that you will get to know us a little bit better through our Instagram. We're on IG at Rever Recovery. We also have a private Facebook group called Reva Holistic Recovery Support. Feel free to pop on over there and knock on the door. The little membership door will let you in and you can join a really nice, very non-judgmental, non-dogmatic community of people who are in many different phases of recovery. Of course, we hope you will subscribe, share, and review this podcast. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, cheers to you and your liberation. Bye-bye. Bye. This has been a listener-supported production of Loudspeaker Studios. For more on this and other programs, visit loudspeaker.org.